Welcome to Movule Podcast. My name is Esther Mbabazi, and I'm the host. Movule Podcast is a show where we talk about nature, the environment, and climate change. I am a photographer and nature lover from Uganda. This show started through the Apollo Forests, a tree planting project that got me asking questions about nature and our role in the environment. The podcast is named Movule after a beautiful and majestic indigenous tree species of hardwood, which is sadly being overexploited to rarity. On the show, I'll be chatting with people in the environmental spaces, from activists to storytellers, scientists, farmers, policymakers, among others. Today we're talking about marine biology and life underwater with Loiso Dunga, a marine biologist from South Africa who will tell us about his work. Loiso, you're a brilliant storyteller and I'm so humbled to sit down with you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much, Esther. I'm honored also to be sitting down with you. So can you please tell me about your journey? How did you get into marine biology? Wow, yeah. It was definitely not a plan. My undergraduate was in environmental and water, um, and water sciences. I always, at heart, like I'm a conservationist, so I always knew that um, I would be fulfilled if I'm in the space of protecting and taking care of our environment. I have never in my wildest dreams thought I would be like, doing that work in the ocean. So yeah, uh, after finishing my honors, I joined a company called um, uh, the South African National Biodiversity Institute uh, as a research assistant. And what I was doing, I was digitizing uh, their images for them. So they take lots and lots of uh, images when they go out uh, on a cruise. So they come back with this like wealth of images that needs to be processed and readied for report writing, for distribution, um, and conveying the message and the science um, that comes through from this research. So I was the guy doing that. But this was an incredible window for me because for the first time, I actually got to see the beauty that is beneath our big blue blanket at the secrets of our oceans. And it was super inspiring to know that this is like um, at my doorstep, so close to me. So after that, I started a a master's degree in biological sciences are focusing on South Africa's kelp forest ecosystems, which was a journey on its own. Uh, I'll tell you more about kelp forests, but all I can say is that everything that you know about the forests, that's what they are, but they are completely submerged. So they enchanted me. They draw me in, in a way I've never been drawn anything in my life and somehow I'm still doing that work. Oh, that's that's really beautiful. I can see the passion, you know, for your work. And we were chatting earlier and you mentioned um, something about your background. So can you please share a bit more about your life growing up, you know, the landscape you grew up in and how that paved the way to where you are now? Incredible. Yeah. So I was born uh, in the wild coast in a village called Mabaha. Uh, it's quite a, a forested area in the mountains. 
less than three minutes walk, you are facing the Indian Ocean. We left there, we moved uh, just like before I was eight years old. Uh, my mom often told me stories that like you were very naughty when you were young. And like what you used to do, uh, you would run into the forest, uh, disappear into the forest, and then probably wait for me to come down and then you reappear again. Uh, this didn't really uh, make sense at the time when she was conveying these stories. I was starstruck when that memory flooded my mind when I went out for the snorkel for the very, very first time in my life. And this was in like 2016, so it's not far. Uh, it's quite recent. Um, I went out as part of my master's uh, because I was curious to see this kelp forest that I'm studying. But um, after we moved from the Eastern Cape, uh, we moved to Kailicha, a township uh, in Cape Town. And that's where like, I pursued my uh, schooling uh, while navigating the challenges of um, growing up in informal settlements in quite uh, dense areas with uh, high poverty rates and high crime rates at the same time. But also with a beauty of proximity, communities, uh, whereby the neighbor took care of the neighbor's dog, the neighbor's kids. So when my mom went to work, I always had someone to take care of me. You seldom uh, appreciate that up until quite late in life and you realize like it really takes a village to get us where we are. So can you please tell me about your first time snorkeling or diving and just going underwater? There's got to be two. So like I'm going to choose two incredible moments because like really those were the make or break moments for me. So this guy just discovered like this crazy forest under the water. I want more of them. I'm super scared of going into this space. I revere, culturally I revere the ocean and many Africans are gonna resonate with this message because an ocean is not a place um, just we go to play. It's a very sacred place. So I was forbidden by my mother. Oh, it was that challenge and my curiosity saying, you've got to go, you've got to be disobedient, at least this once, uh, and explore and see what's there. There was a pool that I couldn't explain. So I joined a crew uh, that was doing ocean immersion courses. And then like they stay quite close, very different backgrounds, uh, quite close, water babies. But I had an opportunity of going with them to the ocean and frequently. The crazy thing is we went without wetsuits. So the very first vivid memory right now, like is plunging into this cold water. What it does to you is crazy. So your reflexes quickly like tell you, you shouldn't be here. Uh, my back becomes incredibly hot, incredibly stinging hot. Like, yeah, I wish I could take all parts of my body and put them in my back because everything else is cold. So you're feeling this extreme sensation of uh, coldness, feeling like the ocean is stinging you. You're feeling this burning sensation at the same time. And then your ears, you can hear your heart beating. It's out of this world. And then the surrounding speaks to you. Around you. Like, and then there's moving forests. The sand, like it's, it's excruciating. You are sad, you are happy, you are scared, you are what? Like it's, it's, it's a ball. It's like it's an explosion of emotions. So I always go back there because that was an experience. I've gone back to try and get that 
experience again. I, I can't. So it's also was a blessing. It's like for me, it was meant to grab me because it really did. That's when, and that is free diving. <laughs> yeah, so that's the first experience. I haven't gone deep yet. So now I'm already home. There's no place like home, hey? So I'm in this forest. I'm trying to understand them. And then I get an opportunity to make a short movie uh, and then at the same time learn to dive. Goodness me, like then my mom was like, this kid is pushing all the boundaries now. Yeah, she was so unpleased with me. Like she begged, don't do this one. Like I'm so sorry, mom. Like, yeah, it's got to happen. So as we are setting off the first time, I'm very, very worried because like, what if I don't come back? It's it's quite a traumatic, uh, a scary uh, experience. So now I have to forget how to breathe. From the first time I was born, now I have to rely on a different system of breathing. Uh, yeah, but anyways, we train rigorously and then we plunge into the water. And then like the panic overwhelms you. But when you start to breathe, pulling that first gasp of air from your tank in your back, then you realize like, okay, this probably can happen. And then it allows you to explore the environment, to go deep, to see these lush, beautiful, different colored um, uh, corals, types of fish, uh, sharks, crabs, eels, like... Then you really appreciate that the ocean is something, something significant. So, yeah, I always go back to those two moments. My God, you just transported me to the ocean and I can't even swim, but that is beautiful. I can, I can feel myself being there, really. Um, over the time you've been going back and going back and you're learning more about this ecosystem and you're seeing also the challenges that our oceans are facing what are some of those challenges i think the most uh, challenge for me and uh, this is like from um, a realistic uh, lenses is that we have far too few people number one are working in the ocean space particularly africans and then this is a threat because um, the ocean needs advocates and those advocates um, are often roaming the streets of Kailicha. Those advocates are in complicated and challenging situations in many parts of Africa, which makes the few people that are in this space, uh, their responsibility becomes amplified. They can't do everything at the same time. Then it always seems like the challenges we are facing are insurmountable. So, yeah, we talk about overfishing. We talk about climate change. Uh, you see the effects, the disconnect between humans and their environment and the ocean. Because uh, I know for a fact that humanity's uh, way of life to protect the things they love. So the moment you are disconnected, you don't really care. You don't know. You don't understand what's going on. And this is the reason why we are having these threats. Because I know everyone talks about them. But for me, the root is that disconnect. And like with nature in general, the oceans, we're disconnected from the land, we're disconnected from the soil. We don't even know how to grow food anymore. Um, and that is very, that's a very important point, which I also am realizing is coming up a lot through these conversations. Personally, what would you recommend that we as individuals, not even countries, but as individuals, what can we do to better preserve this environment 
I am so fortunate because uh, I still have uh, my grandfather who is a traditional healer and uh, uses Oshin as species to create medicines and herbs. He often says to me, because that is the question, really, what can we do individually? He always says, uh, we lost the course of our, our journey as Africans, uh, as people, in terms of how we're connected to our environment when we forgot about the importance of indigenous knowledge, who we are, because also, as you just mentioned now, um, the, we are not even interacting with the soil. We can't grow our own. We are disconnected. We are, the tree is no longer connected to the root. So I really think for me, uh, uh, at a personal level, we need to have these family discussions. We need to recultivate the role and the uh, significance of stories. How do I know how my grandfather interacted with the environment? Is there any worth? Is there any value? But when there are stories around at dinner time, that's when I get to see like, well, maybe this is my natural responsibility because for this food to be in the table, there needs to be a balance, a connection. So I think like at a very, very small level, like our families, communities, we should be talking more about who we are in relation to nature. Oh, thank you very much. And that is a very important point because sometimes we think about what we can do and we look at it in a very abstract way. But you just broken it down in a very much doable way that we can even start just now, you know. And that's the importance of these conversations. You're working in a field that has historically not been having much representation. We don't have many Africans in this field, like you said. What are the problems with that? And how, how can we fix that? Yeah, that is the question. I think it goes down to that question um, that um, we need communities to help us to conserve the ocean, right? Um, and these communities are predominantly African. These communities have uh, native people in them, and then marine biologists or people that are in the marine space often are not those people. So it's really the cry, the plea for help, which often doesn't come like that. It's the plea for help for people to stop whatever they, it is they are doing, to join a cause, to join a meaningful cause of uh, re-establishing a balance in our biodiversity, in our nature. So it needs to be shifted in such a way that the people that are doing that work are those communities. And there is a factor that forced us to where we are. The reason why those people are not at the forefront. It's quite funny also because our many communities have a very, very limited um, negative footprint in the ocean in terms of pollution, in terms of over-harvesting and all of these things. But it's the global pressure of footprint that is like leading to these massive problems. And then like the communities often feel like they are the problem. They are alienated from the conception, the design of what could potentially be a solution. So for me, like the answer lies at us as scientists myself included, to adopt a different mindset. We need communities to help us, not the other way around. We can never protect a space that has been protected for eons. These people have been always there. 
we are definitely missing the point. Let's do it right. Let's go back to communities and ask for forgiveness because our approach is definitely wrong. And then let's, from the ground up, build a hybrid because we need indigenous knowledge. We do need science. And then together, we can definitely have a significant and meaningful and hopefully also a legacy of solutions in terms of the pressures that our oceans, but even at large, like our planet is faced with. So that's how I see it. That is just all there is to say really about it, because the community is the guardian of our environment. They have always done it. We leave our footprints, big footprints, but we are generations and generations. We're carrying one generation of knowledge and we mm. should preserve that and mm. empower the communities to actually continue preserving these environments. And that's very powerful. Indeed, indeed. And I'm sorry, I have to add on that particularly because um, when I do my research, I find out that the problem started to amplify more and more the much that the community's voices are becoming less and less heard. The more we don't hear the community's song, the community's rhythm, understanding the story that is passed down, the more these problems are overcoming and overflowing and overpowering us. So really, the truth is there. The solution is there. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel the passion brewing. Yeah. You know? We need these conversations. We need these conversations from people who care, people who are not just writing their thesis and living, people mm. who are very connected to these landscapes. And I'm so happy to be having these conversations. Now, can you please take me back a little bit and share a bit more about the Girl Forest? Just for someone, you know, like Ooh. many of us will never get to experience that in our lifetime. Can you please? transport us there. Incredible. Thank you so much for asking uh, the story to come out because I am an African and I am a product of the stories that have been told through generations, through time. So for me to do this thing uh, with my family because they were also like, what is it you are talking about, you crazy young man? So imagine yourself right now uh, in the middle of the forest. That you know best. Um, imagine that earthy smell. Maybe a rain is brewing. Imagine that movement of leaves all around you. It can be quite scary sometimes because it also shows us the power of Mother Nature. Maybe you are feeling a creepy stay from the shadows, like maybe something is lacking there and it's watching you. You are hearing birds chipping around. And then when you look, there's dead leaves, but you can see creatures moving around. Imagine all of that. That is who we are. That is our connection to the ocean. I'm just going to take it a little bit um, further. Now we are completely being submerged in this forest. So you are no longer standing on the ground. Somehow you are floating up. Don't worry. It's not about swimming. It's about being in this space. If you don't fight the ocean, if you don't fight the water, it won't fight you. So now instead of being standing and looking around, you are floating. Whoa, you are going a little bit higher. And then these trees, they are still swelling, they are moving, but they are brushing gently against your skin. Don't worry, 
Nothing bad's going to happen. They don't fight. Believe you me. You are in this space. These are what kelp forests are. And then there's tiny fish swimming around exactly the same way birds do in this dense forest. Can you see them? Don't worry. Maintain your breathing. Yes. That is actually how they become more and more at ease around you. Maybe there's a seal coming by. Don't worry. They are naturally inquisitive. You know how dogs are. They are the dogs of the sea at the end of the day. You probably will see a shy shark swimming. They are called shy for a reason. They will swim away the moment you turn your body to look at them. Uh, everything around you, what you are used to, is normally green and brown. But right now, at this moment, you are in the blue, golden blue, because that's how kelp forests look like. They have, instead of a, of a bark or stem, they have something that we call a stipe. It's quite hollow inside, like a hose pipe. And that's what helps them to actually stand upright in the water. Because people ask me, how do these things stand upright in, in the ocean? That's how. And then at the end, when the leaves branch out, they have things like belts, just like your belt in your waist. Uh, we call those fronds. They do the same thing leaves do. They absorb nutrients in the sunlight to make food for the kelp. That's what a kelp forest looks like. My goodness. I went on a journey. I just, I was there. I was there. Thank you for that gift because I feel like I've been there now. You know, like when I see these visuals on a screen, I will go back to this moment. I'll go back to this feeling that I am having now. I mean, it doesn't beat the fact that we're seated here. I'm looking at the ocean while we are visualizing this. This is, wow. Goosebumps moment. Yeah, I feel them too. It's it's the power of the story. It's the power of our people. Can you walk me through your day as a marine biologist? What does that look like, a typical day for you? Uh, I'm a father, so my day starts as normal as possible. I'm rushing around, uh, taking my son to school, making lunch, making sure that I have enough time to beat the traffic and get to the office. So the work we do requires a marine biologist to sit down for a greater part because it's quite expensive to go to the ocean, to go to do research cruises. So we plan them. So on a day like today whereby I'm going to be going to the ocean, I will have my wetsuit in the trunk of my car. I will have my flippers ready. I'll grab my camera because you also want to bring the visual evidence of these stories that you encounter in the ocean. Then I'm probably at the shore and worrying, thinking about the, if the conditions are right, if I have enough uh, resources on my side to carry me through the day. Because what I really aim to understand is how the different components of the ecosystem uh, make up a living kelp forest ecosystem. So I will follow a fish, I will go down to the what looks like a root system of the tree as we know it, but we call it a hold fast because kelps don't have a, they don't dig into anything. They actually attach into a rock uh, or a hard substrate, we call it. And then like sometimes I'm down there, sometimes I'm floating up uh, at the surface by the fronts to look at different uh, animals because what also is quite unique about kelps is that you have three different types of animals that colonize the different parts of the, of the place. 
plant. It's crazy. Yeah, and then sometimes the sweat is too high. So sometimes I'm naturally stressed. So I'm praying at the same time in this space because the ocean takes its toll also on you as a, a human being. And then after that, it's a lot of report writing. It's a lot of uh, analysis of this data. Maybe placing the, the area I was in on the map to locate it. Uh, because what is quite fundamental in the work we do also is to say where is a specific thing that we want to conserve and protect. Because when we have sorted that question, we can go back to understand uh, that certain thing, in this case being the kelp forest. So that's, I think, glorified. That's how it looks like. But it's it has a lot of normality in it, whereby things go wrong and then I don't end up going. Like I get a call from home, then I have to leave some of my duties. Like, yeah, I really think there is nothing extraordinary or out of the ordinary. Like to be a marine biologist, like it's, it's normal. Thank you for normalizing it. Thank it's you. still sounding <laughs> extraordinary to me, but I'm really glad that you're normalizing it because only that way can more people dream to get to this world. So thank you very much. And the final question is, when you imagine a world for your son, what does it look like, the future? So the reason why we did the movie Perfumla, which conveys the story of my experiences into this space, like learning to scuba dive. The only reason also was for me to give my son something to be proud of. So I wanted him to say like, ah, that's cool. So like he gave me that bravery because I, I didn't think I'm brave enough to do that. Yeah, and then after him seeing that, he's already like a very strong ocean advocate. Uh, we have discussions on normal days. Like, should we go to grandmother or go do a beach cleanup? And then he's going to say, dad, no, let's go take care of the planet. We'll go later to Granny. So I really hope that he grows up into a world whereby biodiversity is still intact. A lot of people are thinking we are fighting a losing battle, but I think like at that grassroots level. Uh, in my language, there is a very famous saying, and it says, which directly translates to, you bend it while it's still young. But the immense meaning it holds is that like for you to have a tree shaping to a certain direction, you must bend the back while it's still here. Look out yourself. Amazing. <laughs> I had the privilege to watch this film on a big screen in an environment with scientists and storytellers that knew that was amazing. So where can the listeners find the film okay. or learn about your work? Thank you. We are together today because of new nature, environment, and wildlife filmmakers. So they are the people that actually brought Perfumla into existence. So there's platforms that through them, we can enable people to see this uh, work. But beyond that, um, on Instagram, I am the Kelp Panda, because I'm quite clumsy in the water, believe you me. Thank you very much for joining us, Loiso. I've had a very, very wonderful chat with you today. Thank you so, so much, Esther, for having me. And thanks for your listeners. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey of the Mouvle podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share this show. Also, 
please follow us at Movele Podcast on social media. Thank you.